Hi there, Leah Lem here with a quick note about the Native Lights podcast feed and what you can expect from Minnesota Native News in the next few months. We are hosting COVID-19 community conversations again on this channel, but unlike last time where we stopped doing Native Lights for a while, Cole and I have decided we're going to keep sharing those conversations as well. So on this feed, you can expect the COVID-19 community conversation and an episode of Native Lights each week for the next few months. So please enjoy. This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for today's conversation, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Today on the show, I'll revisit two conversations, one about cultural medicines and another about the pandemic and vaccines through a lens of history and experience. Megan Schnitker is Lakota, and she works with plant medicines. She started learning about plant medicines when she was a young child growing up next to her grandma's farm. I spoke with Megan about the year-long harvest cycle, the rise and interest in first medicines, and the care that goes into harvesting them. I also had a great chat that I'll share with Brianna Michaels, a fellow Malax Band of Ojibwe member. Brianna Michaels works for the American Indian Resource and Resiliency Team out of the University of Minnesota Extension, holding workshops on trauma and healing. But first, Governor Walls gave his State of the State address on March 28th, where he addressed Minnesotans. He expressed hope for the future, that many eligible people are getting vaccinated, and that eligibility for COVID vaccines is expanding to ages 16 and older. We are winning the fight against COVID-19. More than 1.5 million of you have received the vaccine. Over 80% of our seniors have been vaccinated, outperforming the rest of the nation. Two-thirds of our educators and childcare workers have received their shots. And starting Tuesday, all Minnesotans 16 years old and over will be eligible to get the vaccine. Expanded eligibility is possible due to an expected increase in the supply of vaccines. This doesn't mean, however, that we can forget all we've learned this past year. The thaw is here, but in Minnesota, we know better than to let our guard down at the first sign of spring. I myself was in quarantine last week after being exposed to COVID-19, serving as an important reminder that the virus is still very much with us. We're monitoring closely as COVID cases have started rising again, spurred on by new variants of the virus. We must remain vigilant. The only way we'll truly beat this virus is by continuing to social distance, wear a mask, and get tested. And of course, most importantly, Minnesotans need to get vaccinated. Getting vaccinated will protect you and your loved ones. Getting vaccinated will get us back to the places we love and the people we miss. Getting vaccinated is how we end this pandemic. I know I'm very excited to do more and get out more and be with more people. 
But like Governor Wells says, we're not completely out of the woods. There are new variants to contend with. And Malak's Band of Ojibwe chief executive, Melanie Benjamin, recently echoed his message in a band update. When uh, we are moving forward, I can't stress enough that we have to continue to follow the safety measures and be very cautious because we don't know what these uh, variants are going to do. And again, um, even though we go into the stores or gas stations, we see a lot of people without masks. Please use the mask at all times when you are out and about. Health officials are also urging Minnesotans to limit travel plans. So even though things are looking better, we still need to make sure to stay vigilant to protect one another. There have been many ways to help one another during the pandemic. By simply reaching out to one another, wearing our masks and washing our hands and sending food to our elders. Another way has been sharing traditional and cultural medicines. I know I relied a lot on the calming nature and health benefits of cedar tea and sacred sage and daily trips to put out tobacco and really trying to focus on being grateful while acknowledging the tough times we're all facing. There are so many medicines that are available. And my first guest and I had talked toward the end of summer when the harvest was on our minds. But as we know, harvesting happens all year long. And on the topic of plant medicine, I'd like to take some time to share the work by Megan Schnitker. Megan provides cultural lessons through her Mankato Revitalization Project nonprofit, and she also creates products from the medicines she harvests. My relatives, my name is Megan Schnitker. I come from Milk's Camp community and I greet you with a good heart and a handshake. So outside is where we spent a majority of my childhood out in South Dakota. And um, we had to uh, kind of figure out what plants we could use for cut scrapes, you know, things like that. And my uncle was really good at um, describing these plants to me. And as I got older, um, I started learning from my great grandma. She told me a few things about plants and then she passed away and I lost my traditional teacher. Megan spent some time lost as she describes it, but she returned home after some time healing and reflecting. And so I moved back home and I like completely immersed myself back into the culture. And I heard bits and pieces about plants here and there. And then I started asking you know, myself and the elders, well, what are all these plants that are growing around us? Megan learned more and more about the sacred plants for ceremonies and was also curious about all the other plants around her. In most of the ceremonies that I had been to, we use just, you know, a small handful of plants when there's thousands and thousands and thousands of plants out there. And so I started asking and I'd get stories here and there of what their grandparents used to do, uh, what their you know, with it, how they used to harvest. And then um, I did a lot of, a lot of research on my own. So I had to really dive deep into asking people um, and looking at research. And Megan makes sure to pass along her plant medicine knowledge to others. Our elders are getting older, especially mine. 
and their their knowledge is precious. And unfortunately, I've lost quite a few elders, um, and their knowledge has gone with them. So my whole philosophy in life is to share this, to to find it, save it, and share it. And there has been an increase in the number of folks wanting to know more, especially during the pandemic. People are more looking at preventative medicine, which is what, um, you know, our medicine is. And people call it alternative medicine. It's not alternative medicine. It's first medicine. We need people to change their language when they talk about plant medicine. It's not alternative. It's first medicine. Humans have existed for thousands and thousands of years. We need to look back and and I'm super happy people are are looking back towards our preventative medicine, our first medicines, which is plants and rebuilding that relationship with their food because their food is medicine. So Megan works with plants that she and others harvest and makes sure to take extra care when harvesting. It's awesome that so many people have gained interest in this, but I have had to teach people about it. When I have groups that come harvest, we come and we harvest in a good way. And so um, I ask that they're, you know, that they're obviously sober. Um, they're in a good frame of mind. Um, and they come in the morning. Um, we smudge everyone off um, and say a prayer. And we offer tobacco before uh, we go out and harvest because each of, I was taught that each of these plants um, has a spirit and has a purpose. And so we need to respect that. We need to respect the plant in order for them, uh, for them, the plant, to give us their medicine. Because if we don't respect the plant, um, they're not going to give us their medicine. Uh, we just finished elderberry season a couple of weeks ago, um, which is a really popular one. I make three different uh, recipes with elderberries because it's the most popular antiviral, but I also mix more powerful antivirals in with those elderberries, and that's what those other elderberry recipes are. Each plant medicine and food item has its season throughout the year. Our, our mother, grandmother Earth wants to make sure that all its beings are, are well-nourished right away in the spring because sometimes winter is really hard on us. And so those first, you know, like the, the first purple nettles, those are really nutrient-dense. Those are incredibly good food source. You can use them as teas. You can use them as, put them in soups and stews. Um, they have a really high calcium content. There's protein, there's iron, there's vitamin K. There's, I mean, all the vitamins are in, are in stinging nettle, purple nettle, it's especially because it's a really powerful first plant that pops up. And so when we are first coming out of camp, we're looking for all those first foods and we're starting to harvest and we're starting to eat those um, to gain our energy. Coming out of winter, it's time to start preparing for next winter, moving from camp to camp. So we stayed um, in places for three, four days before moving on because we didn't want to drain the resources of that area. So we planted um, to follow this trail and we would um, follow the food trail because we planted foods that would be um, really nutrient dense in the early spring and then in the spring and then here comes the summer and we would follow that path and we would eat our food and collect seeds throughout the way. And so um, when you're heading into spring, um, everything starts to pop up. The cycle of harvest and planting along a camp trail provided food for the seasons to come. And so there's ramps and there's um, pastas and there's plantain and there's dandelions. Dandelions are one of the first flowers. Um, and dandelions, the whole plant is edible. From the flower to the stem to the leaf to the root, um, you can eat the whole thing. And there's, you know, in each season brings different medicine and it brings different food. And so that whole way, um, 
Mother Earth is, is feeding us and feeding us more nutrient-dense food and more protein and more, uh, more stronger medicine. And so towards the fall, we would have, uh, we would start to be gathering more heavier food to save and to take with us to our winter camps. And as they got closer to winter camps... Once we were at our winter camp, then we could start to stockpile food because uh, we weren't going to go anywhere. And so we really started to stockpile the, the squashes, um, the seeds, the dried meats, um, and things like that, that we have been slowly stockpiling throughout the, the warm season, you know, our root vegetables throughout the, the winter. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. We just heard from Megan Schnitker, who talked about plant medicines. We've had many guests who have relied on plant medicines to get through hard times, including covid On the program, Visiting Vaccines, a special edition from Minnesota Native News, we spoke with the CEO of the Native American Community Clinic, Dr. Anthony Stately, who had a bad case of COVID-19 in the fall of 2020. Anthony was admitted to the hospital and was on oxygen. And after he got to the hospital, Anthony realized he needed some things from home. You see, when he left for the hospital, he didn't really plan ahead So he called his sister and asked for a few things like clothes and other items. And he also asked for sacred medicines. Can you bring me a smudge bowl and some cedar and sage and tobacco, um, some sweet grass, um, the four sacred medicines? I know I can't burn them in the the hospital, but I can still hold them and pray with them. And she did that. She brought me a nice fluffy pillow because the hospital has horrible pillows. And then that second night I was there, a couple of my elders called me and we talked and I reached out to a couple of people and talked to them because I was scared, you know. One elder said, hold that smudge bowl in your lap and say some prayers, um, ask for help, ask for protection. Another elder told me, um, speak directly to that spirit of COVID because all things have a spirit, right? Have a conversation with it, you know. And so the second night I was there, I, the second full night I was there, I was like laying in bed and scared and I heard another person crying and, you know, saying, oh, no, 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 over and over. And I want to go home and those kinds of things, you know, and I thought my first intention was to, I grabbed the smudge bowl that I, to pray for them because I like they, you know, they sounded like they needed support right and I was thinking in my head I was like you know do they not have loved ones that can reach out to them they can't see their loved ones and whatever so I grabbed the bowl and I said a prayer for them you know ask creator to like you know pity them and be compassionate with them and help um, calm them make them feel safe and then I was like well I don't feel safe right and so I said a prayer and my prayer was really clear I, t- I, t- I talked to the spirit of COVID and I said there's a reason you came to my family and the reason you visited me. And I said, I think I understand what the reason is. And I think I'm understanding more richly in a different way, what this means for me and my family and my, my community. I think I'm getting the lesson here, but I want you to know that like, um, 
I'm ready for you to move on, right? And kind of thank the spirit of COVID for showing up and giving me this opportunity to learn some personal and professional lessons, but mostly the personal lesson, understanding the value of life, right? And not taking for granted any moment that you are able to draw a breath and not taking for granted any of the relationships you have in your life. And then I said a really simple prayer to the creator. Actually, it wasn't like all that complicated. I said, creator, I'm not ready to leave. And I said, I have sons I have to raise and I have so many people who I love, who I know love me and who are not ready to say goodbye to me and I'm not ready to say goodbye to them. I said, and I, and I definitely know that I feel like I still have a lot that I can contribute to the work that needs to be done in my community. And that's really important to me. I have so much left that I need to complete. So I want, I have to stay. I want to stay. And I said, please let me stay. Anthony spent time in prayer during the hospital stay, spent time with the medicines, both sacred and those administered by the hospital. And we're all glad he got through it okay and it's back in action. And now we're going to switch gears a little. I'd like to revisit a conversation with Brianna Michaels, who helps put in perspective the trauma of the pandemic, the killing of George Floyd, and how there can be understandable hesitation when it comes to accepting the vaccine and recognizing how our histories can influence those responses and how there's hope for healing. Now let's revisit that conversation with Brianna Michaels. Hello, my name is uh, Brianna Michaels. I am an enrolled member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Tribe. I'm located, well, now I'm down in the cities here in Fridley, um, but my main location for many years has always been in the Pine County area. Brianna Michaels works for the American Indian Resource and Resiliency Team out of the University of Minnesota Extension, holding workshops on trauma and healing. A lot of what our work consists of is connecting the dots between historical trauma, intergenerational trauma, and healing. Passing down experience, whether it's trauma or resiliency, is something that's been widely known in many cultures, yet it can be tough to really understand. Historical trauma, I believe, is something that maybe not everybody fully can can grasp. Um, I've often heard people talk about, well, that happened way back when. That doesn't that doesn't affect me, you know. And and that's not necessarily the case. There's this notion of um, blood memory and epigenetics, right? And and blood memory was something that our our communities, our indigenous communities, have known for thousands of years, right? And and now, just now, science is is catching up to us. So, memory is carried through generations. So what has happened to past generations certainly impacts us today, whether we know it or not. And it gets passed through our DNA. It gets passed through our blood. Brianna and I discuss the many ways in which communities have been triggered in this past year, with the injustice of how Black, Indigenous, and people of color are dying through health disparities and at the hands of police, with the pandemic and the death of George Floyd, among others. You've got four to 500 
wounds kind of coming to the surface. You see it in the riots, you see with some of the protests that were happening and, and all this stuff is coming to the surface, right? So we were all being triggered by something. Brianna talks about how she's been safe at home and pretty healthy. Even so, she finds herself overwhelmed and taking on heavy emotions. So Brianna has to stop and take a moment to ask herself. Brianna, is this, is this your stuff? Or is this stuff that's coming up from, say, past generations? Maybe something that has happened with my ancestors? Um, is, is, is something triggering that DNA to basically turn on? Is this why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling? We're talking about injustices. We're talking about, you know, slavery in the African-American community, which in turn, of course, you think about all the genocide that happened within American Indian communities, right? So all this stuff is coming up to the surface. Everything's bubbling up. And then you've got the pandemic. But you kind of see like the panic right now. And, you know, people going out and buying toilet paper and, you know, stacking up on things and, and to sit back and say, okay, there's a lot of um, panic here. Is this my stuff or is this stuff from back in the day? We look at what's happened when the pandemic started and wondering why people were reacting in mass in a certain way. Why was there such a knee-jerk panic? Did this have something to do in part with blood memory? Brianna thinks about her own lineage when reflecting on why she feels a certain way or how she's reacting to an event. So my grandpa was born in was born in 1900. So I'm not talking about like my great 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 grandpa. I'm talking about my grandpa was born in 1900. And so it was prime of course boarding school era and the flu um the Spanish flu of 1918, of course many other diseases that happened during that time frame too. You've got tuberculosis and everything else that happened. And so I question what were some of those things that he dealt with? What are some of those things that that his family and maybe his, you know, grandparents dealt with or his mom and dad dealt with? And what are some of those things that that they went through, you know, that is now kind of being passed along me? Because even though that time frame goes way back, you know, 1900s, that distance between our relationship is so short. And am I feeling what he felt? and what he's going through or what he went through. You know, am I feeling that? And here we are now in a pandemic where sickness is a trigger and the government response to the pandemic is as well with the federal government's history of discriminatory practices. The broken promises with treaties overall. I mean, that's one example. The the masterialization of women, you know, that's that's another thing. And I feel like there have been so many situations where tribal communities, you know, have been wronged by the federal government. So when they say, you know, hey, here's this vaccine that's going to help you, again, it's that trigger that's coming up for people. Why should I trust you? You know, why should I, why should I trust the federal government? Why should I, why should I trust the, the Trump administration? Why should I trust, you know, even Indian Health Service? You know, like, why, why should I trust, you know, these institutions that have been the demise, or at least one of the, a big, huge foundation for the demise and the genocide of our tribal communities. Through all this complexity, Brianna does think vaccines are a helpful tool towards health. Yeah, so I'm a believer of vaccines. I do believe that vaccines have helped 
our communities, our, our indigenous communities survive. How do we get to healing through this complex back and forth? We don't land on a straightforward answer, though being open to the possibility of healing comes first. I know from my experience that healing overall needs to happen individually, which means that I need to learn. I need to understand. I need to be open and and to continue to do all those things and not in any kind of order, but just to continue to always do those things. Heal individually so that we can go out to our communities and, and heal and heal collectively in order to trust. I mean, that's, that's going to need to take some openness, you know, um, in order to, to trust this vaccine and to, and to trust these health institutions. And remember the other part of Brianna's work is connecting the dots of historical trauma to healing. We know we need to heal, but how do we get there? So we know that culture is prevention. We know that if we were to go out into the woods, that that's where we get healing. But for a lot of our generations, even our elders nowadays, like, you know, our ceremonies were illegal. It was banned. Speaking our language used to be a punishable offense. And as Brianna said, ceremonies were illegal. Those same things that help us heal had been stripped away. So how is healing possible when practicing our culture is wrapped in trauma? Back to vaccines. They're helpful and can be a great tool in moving towards healthy communities, though they're made complicated by the surrounding trauma, both current and historical. And having openness to learning more can help us untangle those feelings. Learning about your culture, figuring out what your values are, what's important to you, you know, those are some really good places to start. One of the things that I know that I can do is I can learn everything about the vaccine that I can learn. I can talk with my leadership, whether that's health and human services within my tribal community, to understand what are the implications of this vaccine, what are the pros, what are the cons, and really weigh out those risk factors. Um, and really making that conscious decision and, and having that decision also come from like your intuition. Like what is your intuition telling you? What is spirit telling you? That's always a good way to go to tapping into that source. Jimmy Gwich, Brianna. Brianna Michaels is a fellow Mille Band of Ojibwe member. She works for the American Indian Resource and Resiliency Team out of the University of Minnesota Extension, where she holds workshops on trauma and healing. And thank you to our earlier guest, Megan Schnitker. Megan is Lakota and works with plant medicines. You can find out more about her work at lakotamade.com. And also, of course, thank you to Dr. Anthony Stately for sharing his experience uh, having COVID and his hospital stay. Again, we're glad you are doing better. So I recently got my second Moderna vaccine dose through the Indian Health Service in Cass Lake. And I'm very grateful, very grateful for the opportunity to be vaccinated. And I feel quite relieved. And it was a decision that I didn't take lightly. I had heard about reactions to the vaccine and the side effects that people experienced. 
My dad, though, had no reaction whatsoever. He was perfectly fine. Others have felt sick. So when I got the second dose of the vaccine, I did have some side effects that came and went for about 36 hours. My side effects were nausea and achy joints. But it was helpful that I was prepared for those side effects, even though I didn't know if they'd come or not. And I was only prepared because of the willingness of others to share their experiences. And I know others are waiting for many reasons, waiting to get the vaccine, trying to schedule an appointment, or are simply choosing not to get the vaccine. But the more we know about the vaccine, the more we acknowledge our history and experiences, we can make an informed decision for ourselves either way. And I hope these conversations help. Till next time, gigawabamin, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.